You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everybody and welcome to the Health Hub. I am your host Kathy Biasse and along with our producer Alex Diaz, I'd like to welcome you to the show and I'm doing it on behalf of both Alex and myself today. He's in the background doing some stuff so he's waving and says hello and all is good uh, on his end. Our show is live today so please do feel free to call in. Our number is 416-245-1534 and do check us out on all of our social media sites. We always put interesting things up there. You can reach us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Health Hub RMC. And if you'd like to email us with suggestions for show topics, if you have any questions that we didn't answer about a particular topic or just uh, want to chat in general, do email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. And all of our shows are flipped over into podcast form uh, shortly after the live show. And you can Catch all our podcasts. We've had so many amazing guests. Uh, the information is just outstanding on the number of shows we've done. I think we're up to about 62 or three shows now that have gone to a podcast. So you can catch us on iTunes, on SoundCloud. You can get them, access them through my website, kathybiasse.com. Really, any of the podcast forums that uh, you like, you can pull pull our shows through there. So please do give us a nice rating if uh, if you've enjoyed the show. It's all good. It's all good promoting all the wonderful information that our, that our guests do give to us. It's a little cool here in Toronto and just actually a perfect, a perfect uh, segue to teas, which is something that I would like to talk to you about at the beginning of the show. Teeth or tea has many health benefits. There's so many different varieties. But what I wanted to do is just give you a, a general, a general sense of teas and how to prepare them. I get questions a lot. Uh, people, people have a few misconceptions about teas, and I actually had to do some of my own research for this topic myself. So it's not like I'm a tea expert. I just uh, an interesting topic that has come up quite often. So I thought I'd just give you a, a quick uh, overview before we head into our show today, which is on acupuncture. So. I'm going to take the three three black tea, three teas that come from the same plant. So green tea, oolong tea, and black tea, and they come, as I mentioned, from the same plant called the Camellia sinensis plant. I hope I didn't butcher that. I always feel when I'm trying to pronounce things of a different language that uh, I'm not saying it properly. But Camellia sinensis plant. So of those three types of teas, the black tea is oxidized the most, exposed to oxygen the most, and generally has a stronger flavor and does have the most caffeine. Again, these are on general terms. So when you're shopping and when you're consuming uh, caffeine too close to bedtime, you know, you might want to stay more away from the black tea. Green tea is the least oxidized and it has the mildest taste and in general, the least caffeine. And oolong tea uh, is in the middle of of the pack, so it's uh, 
you know, it's got moderate caffeine and, and the, the tea again. And we're talking again in general terms because you can certainly do different mixtures and so forth. But but as a graduated scale, you've got black, oolong, and green tea as far as strengths of caffeine and flavor. Herbal teas are made from an infusion or decoction of herbs and spices. And they're generally prepar- prepared in um, hotter water. And they don't usually contain caffeine. So a great, and there's just so many varieties of herbal teas out there. So that's a great choice to have just before going to bed. If if you like to have something cozy just before you, you hit the hay. So I just wanted to give you general temperatures for steeping your tea and brewing the water. Some of my kettle has actually, I don't know, four or five different water temperatures, which is kind of nice because it takes into account uh, the different types of teas. So green tea is a more delicate tea and you want the water temperature nowhere beyond 175 degrees or 80 degrees Celsius. Black tea in oolong tea, you can heat a little bit higher. They're a stronger tea, um, more resilient tea, and that's around 195 degrees Fahrenheit or 90 degrees Celsius. And then the herbal blends. And as I said, there are just a a gazillion types of herbal blends of tea. But generally speaking, uh, you want them to steep and be boiled, uh, the water boiling around 208 degrees or about 98 uh, degrees Celsius. So just a quick overview to give you, um, you know, maybe a little bit more information and uh, a great topic to, to talk around about book club or something like that. Because a lot of people are quite confused. They think that the teas are all different plants, but in fact, they are not. So today's show is on acupuncture, and we have quite an outstanding guest with us with quite uh, a number of credentials. So he's going to he's going to give us a broad base of tra- traditional Chinese medicine, which acupuncture is sort of uh, under that umbrella. His name is Bill Reddy. He is director of the Integrative Health Policy Consortium, the former president of the Acupuncture Society of Virginia, and former vice president of the American Association of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. He is the author of over 90 publications and editor-contributor of a book entitled The Scientific Basis of Integrative Health, which is you know, as as you may know by following the show, we really do try and have you know a lot of our our information evidence based. It gives a, a whole bunch of credibility to what to what we're trying to get across to you. And this scientific basis of integrative health is a, a wonderful volume. Bill is an avid practitioner of Tai Chi and Qigong, and is a board certified acupuncturist practicing in Annandale, Virginia, and principal consultant at Integrative Health Associates. We will be talking about conditions that are treated with acupuncture, and you'll be surprised, I think, at uh, the, the vast amount of applications that acupuncture can address, scientific support for the effectiveness of acupuncture, and how acupuncture is performed from you know the type of needle, the depth of needle, all of those things we are going to cover. Very interesting show. Acupuncture is something very easy to incorporate into many aspects of your healthcare routine. And after our break, we'll be back to talk with Bill Reddy. Struggle to believe, still we rise. 
Time to pull the distance between truth and all the lies We are not just rising to give in to the fall Your love has come to bring new life to us all We rise, we rise From the darkness we will rise We rise, we rise From the darkness we will rise We will fight for justice in our Challenge cultures that do not value life We will stand united for our hope Makes us one Your truth is armor and this battle will be won We rise, we rise From the darkness we will rise We rise, we rise From the darkness we will to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, <coughs> hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned at the top of the show, we are live today. If you'd like to call in to speak with Bill, the number is 416-245-1534. I have my phone with me if you want to tweet in some questions or contacts through Facebook or Instagram at The Health Hub RMC. And without further ado, welcome to the show, Bill. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time to talk about this really interesting topic, acupuncture. And and I guess most people would have heard of acupuncture. And uh, first impressions are probably bodies ladled with little needles. But I think we want to delve much deeper into the subject so you can really give people a good understanding of where they can use this application in in their health toolkit. But first of all, tell us how you got to this point, you have a very interesting background, and uh, to land on this practice is, is an interesting story. Oh, sure. Well, I started out 
ago, over 30 years ago, as uh, as an aerospace engineer, and uh, I got misdiagnosed with a brain tumor, which um, stopped me in my tracks, made me reevaluate my life, and realized that I wanted to do something that was a little more nurturing. Uh, although, you know, aero engineering is pretty intellectually stimulating, but I just, it wasn't really feeding my soul. And uh, so I was thinking about physical therapy. I was thinking about uh, being an MD. And I just, the thought of seeing 35 to 40 patients a day and writing prescriptions just didn't seem like uh, it was in alignment with what I wanted to do. And I found that um, acupuncture and oriental medicine just really um, just fit the bill very nicely. And I've just been really enjoying it ever since. Did you start by studying the the big canopy of uh, traditional Chinese medicine, or did you know acupuncture was where you wanted to, to land? Well, in the schools, that's what's taught. Uh, the NIH describes traditional Chinese medicine as including acupuncture, moxibustion, Chinese herbal medicine, toy na, which is Chinese uh, therapeutic massage, a dietary therapy, tai chi, and qigong. So it's a, quite a broad umbrella. And then acupuncture, of course, is one of the um, techniques that we use. When you practice acupuncture, are you incorporating the other aspects of traditional Chinese medicine within your practice, or is it a specific uh, entity that you're involved with? There's an underlying um, philosophical um, underpinning that, that... acupuncture and herbal medicine and all kind of um, uh, work within. But um, but most of the time, I'll do some acupuncture on someone, and then I may do some cupping. And uh, your your listeners may be aware of, uh, of um, Michael Phelps, who uh, had some cupping marks on him. So, you know, a number of uh, athletes use that. Or I may do gua sa, which is a scraping technique. So it just depends. Sometimes uh, I'll tell them, you know, you've got a skin condition. Really, herbal medicine is more appropriate. So it just depends on uh, on what the situation is. Well, coming from an aerospace background, I I tend to think I can be completely wrong about this that you would like to have had some credence for what you were going into practice, meaning uh, some science based evidence that what you were doing was actually was uh, had some efficacy to it. Yes, when I did some snooping, uh, the NIH, the National Library of Medicine, had uh, quite a few studies. And since that time, it's actually the most well-studied complementary alternative medicine in uh, in the world. And uh, there are 27,000... Oh, I think we've lost uh, Bill. Are you there, Bill? Sorry, I missed that last piece. Oh, uh, so there's 27,000 studies and 7,000 of them are specific to uh, pain. And this is acupuncture, or or you're talking about the scope of uh, traditional Chinese medicine? This is specific using the keywords acupuncture. So So if you were to look up herbal medicine, yeah, that would be additional. Yeah, and the number of herbs studied are endless, I imagine. Um, So how how do you get, uh, the states is... I don't know what the licensing practice is here in Canada, but in the States, I have to think that there is a bit of similarity. But how long is the schooling? How long did it take you to become a licensed acupuncturist? Okay, so you have to do, um, after undergrad, I had to do a year of medical prerequisites because I had an engineering degree. I didn't take anatomy and physiology or some of the other required courses. 
and then it was three years of school for me to study acupuncture. There's two years additional schooling for herbal medicine and then a year of internship. And so uh, there are some schools that combine it all at once, and you can get through the program usually in four years. So you had to go, after your aerospace degree, you had to go back to school for another four years? Yes. Wow. And then when you were starting up your practice, was it an easy easy thing to do, or did you really have to, how many years ago are we talking that you started? Almost 20. Almost 20. And at that time, how well known was acupuncture in the Western world? You know, it, uh, it, there were quite a few new patients who were just desperate. So when I'd ask, have you had acupuncture before, the answer was no. And have you had any friends or family members? It was no. Now, routinely, if it's no, then they'll say, oh, but my aunt had it, and she thought it was amazing, or a colleague had it. So you know, we have 60 schools across the nation and close to 34,000 practitioners across the nation. We are currently uh, licensed in 47 states. And so we're not fully licensed across the country, but we're getting there. Do you find that medical practitioners are, are taking this on as, as a modality to recommend out? Well, both. There, there is something called uh, the AAMA, which is the American uh, Academy of Medical Acupuncture, and so those are physicians who've decided to uh, practice acupuncture. And then uh, there's definitely some referrals going on and that uh, they're, they're opening their minds to it. I mean, obviously, NIH uh, had, a, uh, they had a consensus statement. It's quite old. It was back in 1987. And they said that uh, here's the list of things that acupuncture treats. And so, um, you know, so they definitely support it. It's just slow going. Well, your involvement with um, the scientific basis of integrative health obviously shows you've got a proclivity to try and promote this as a valid science-based modality in healthcare. So you must be making inroads with this. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I wish that there were more acupuncturists that were interested in research, but still every patient that's touched, whether they know that there's that they know personally it works, regardless of whether there's a, a strong scientific basis for it. So do can you use acupuncture on a preventative level, or are we using acupuncture uh, for chronic disease, fibromyalgia, things like that? I think pain is probably the, the most commonly noted use of acupuncture at this point. Yes. And the culture in the U.S. is reactive medicine. Don't fix it if it ain't broke, so to speak. So uh, in China, they actually do use acupuncture preventively. And that there are acupuncture points that boost immune system function, balance the endocrine system, can do a lot of things to keep you from getting sick or to keep you from ever getting to that chronic stage of illness. However, here in the United States, you know, I tend to see patients for migraines and back pain. I assist people. Uh, in getting pregnant, uh, digestive difficulties. Um, what the, uh, getting back to the, uh, uh, the NIH consensus statement, uh, I can't remember the number of, of conditions, close to 40 conditions that they had studied using double-blind placebo-controlled studies, which at the time was the gold standard. Now it's randomized controlled trials. But uh, so under internal, it had things like hypoglycemia and asthma, high blood pressure, uh, colitis, indigestion, hemorrhoids, 
diarrhea, constipation, even diabetes, ear, nose, and throat, well, we would treat things like deafness and ringing in the ears or tinnitus, uh, earaches, poor eyesight, uh, dizziness, uh, musculoskeletal, of course, anything that hurts in your body, we can, we can pretty well fix. Even things like uh, Bell's palsy, trigeminal neuralgia, uh, stroke, cerebral palsy, uh, and uh, also reproductive, like impotence, infertility, PMS, uh, vaginitis, morning sickness, and also mental-emotional things like uh, anxiety, depression, stress, insomnia. We can deal with infections. We can deal with dermatological and respiratory conditions. So pretty much what you see a typical MD for, you can see an acupuncturist for. Well, are there acupuncturists that are specialized in particular illnesses? Or is acupuncture something, I want to get into this uh, specifically, is acupuncture just you're working on meridians and it's, it's the same everywhere, or do you have acupuncturists that specialize in cancer care, pain care? How does that work? Okay, so in China, if you were to go to medical school, you would be able to choose between traditional Chinese medicine or Western allopathic medicine. And if you decide to go the traditional Chinese medicine, then through your training, you would uh, get a residency and you would do rotations and an internship doing uh, surgery and, uh, and psych rotation and orthopedics and neurology. Here in the United States, since we only have a few programs that are connected with hospitals, instead you have a student clinic. And so you see which whomever walks through the door. However, after you have... 5, 10, 15 years experience, you may decide that um, you just want to specialize. And so uh, a lot of my colleagues, they just deal with infertility or they just deal with orthopedic conditions or sports medicine, for instance, like that. And I do have a colleague who uh, works at an oncology center at a hospital. Okay, so I think uh, what we need to do here is is maybe you could, I mean, you obviously can't tell us a, a ton of how it works, but how can using needles penetrating the skin help conditions as far separate as fertility versus oncology? What is the underlying mechanism of action? That's a brilliant question. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> And unfortunately, the scientists don't have a a direct answer. There are a number of theories out there on how how acupuncture works. They have a humoral theory, which has to do with with the blood-borne hormones and how when you needle specific points on the body, it triggers hormone release. They also have where endogenous opioids are released from our brains. And uh, so that's a very powerful pain reliever. Uh, They have a gait theory, and so there are different types of fibers of nerves that go to your brain, and they believe that when you needle certain acupuncture points, again, you're kind of, um, it's like having traffic. If you jam traffic on a particular roadway, then it's going to stop that pain signal to the brain. So there's all kinds of different theories, but just with Einstein, he never came up with that grand unified theory. And the same thing is true for acupuncture is that they just haven't found one theory that encompasses uh, one, like, let's take, let's take uh, elbow pain. All right. So you play tennis and you have tennis elbow that uh, there are prostaglandins and leukotrienes, which are chemicals that produce inflammation. And acupuncture is known to reduce those chemicals and thus the inflammation goes down and your tendon feels better. 
but that doesn't explain ovulation. So if a woman is not ovulating, which is called anovulation, that um, we can needle certain points that trigger ovulation. And again, uh, it's a cause and effect. There's studies showing that when you use the wrong points, the women don't ovulate, and you use the correct points, and they do. But they still don't know, well, how is this point on the ankle communicating with the uh, what they call the ovarian pituitary uh, hypothalamic axis? Are these points... Do they change from person to person, or you part of your schooling is learning these points in the body? Like when someone comes in for something, are you, are you are you hit and miss and trying these different things, or these are well known spots that I need to hit with my needles? Now, traditional Chinese medicine, as taught in China, has three hundred and sixty-one acupuncture points on the body. There's also another forty. Uh, what are called extra points, and then that don't lie on these pathways of energy but have therapeutic value. And then there's 109 acupuncture points uh, on the ear or pinna. So it's not in the ear like we're poking at your your uh, um, eardrum, but, but just the surface of the ear. So we, we definitely have a lot of points to choose from. And that there, you can't say, oh, there's an acupuncture point that's three inches from the wrist crease along this line because what if you're dealing with a, a five foot one Japanese woman or you're dealing with a six foot four basketball player? So, what they did is they came up with this uh, proportional unit of measure called a chun. And this chun is there's 12 chun from your wrist crease to the antecubital crease in your elbow. And so if it's six chun from that, then it's midway between. So that's how we do it is we work with a proportional unit of measure. And some acupuncture points, the location is rather large, which means it may be the size of a dime. So you can be fairly inaccurate and you're still going to get a therapeutic result. Uh, With something like an ear point, the points are literally a millimeter, two millimeters away from one another. And uh, there's a, a neurologist in France named Dr. Nogier who got very interested in auricular acupuncture, and he actually measured the points using galvanic resistance of the skin and found that, that he remapped the acupuncture points of the Chinese with just a few uh, variations. So you're, you're like a, an alchemist of acupuncture points. You have formulas, I imagine protocols. I, I actually want to get into the topic of protocols uh, when we get back from our break. So give us a, a couple of minutes and we're going to really dive into what, what a day with Bill Reddy in his office would look like. Sounds great.
in this perfect love. Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Big kudos to Alex. Our music is great between uh, and during our breaks and so forth. I really do enjoy it. <laughs> Makes me happy. Okay, podcasts. We have uploaded uh, three podcasts over the last couple of days. Keeping Sane Over the Summer Holidays with Alison Schaefer. Saunas, a powerful tool with Rodney Palmer. And the influence of diet and nutrition on the prevention of chronic disease with Dr. Reza Hakak. So they are all available for your listening pleasure on iTunes, SoundCloud, on my website, wherever you want to, to grab them. So, Bill, let's talk about walking into your office, first time person looking to do acupuncture. Do you have protocols? Do you do a huge intake? How does that work? Okay, similar to most uh, visits to a doctor, you would uh, have quite a, my intake form is six pages long, so it's fairly uh, comprehensive, and I spend an hour and a half with an initial patient. Uh, So I do patient history, I do physical examination of any body parts that are unhappy if they're complaining of knee pain or hip pain or back pain, that kind of thing. 
And if they've got a neurological problem, obviously, I'm going to do neurological uh, evaluations. But what typically happens is that um, in Western medicine, you may have insomnia. That's just one diagnosis. But in Chinese medicine, there's actually several diagnoses for insomnia. And so depending on what their tongue looks like, what their pulses are feeling like, are they having trouble falling asleep? Are they having trouble staying asleep? Are they very restless? Do they have vivid dreams? All of these things will point to a specific diagnosis. And then once I arrive at the diagnosis, then a point combination would be appropriate. So a common insomnia point combination is three. It's one near the ankle called spleen six, one on the wrist called heart seven, and one right between the eyebrows called intong. And those three points will stimulate the brain to produce melatonin. So once again, if you only have two of the three points, it's not going to work. So scientists are still trying to figure that out, but obviously this point combination has been around for over 3,000 years. Are you diagnosing or are people coming in to you, I have pain, I have a liver issue, and, and that's what you're looking at? Or someone coming in to you with migraines, you may totally go left of center and work on a totally different, um, totally different path of thought. Okay, so let's take migraines as an example. That I would ask them what they're eating because there's a lot of triggers to, uh, to migraines, and if they're, you know, acupuncture is just not going to work if they're not removing some of the things that are triggering it. A very common type of migraine in Western medicine um, is, is one where the blood vessels tend to dilate in the brain, and that's the reason why people will take um, uh, migraine strength, excedrin, and if you look at it, it's got caffeine in it, and caffeine is a vasoconstrictor. So, what acupuncture does is it also, through MRI studies, it constricts the blood vessels in our brains. The only difference between taking a drug is that once that blood concentration level of the drug is gone, then um, you know the, the problem may recur. Whereas with acupuncture, over time, your body somehow is trained to recognize, to maintain that tonus uh, around those blood vessels, and then the migraines go away. So I had a woman who had migraines since she was her teens, she was 35 years old when she came to see me, and it took months of treatment, and that was eight or 10 years ago, and she hasn't had a migraine since. So you're strengthening the body. You're not just treating a symptom. You're actually changing the path work. Yes, there's certain, there's certain structural changes that do occur when you do acupuncture, and there's some things like knee osteoarthritis is that the only way that acupuncture can work with that, which, you know, the definition is the gradual deterioration of articular cartilage, is that we have to stimulate the body to regrow that cartilage because otherwise the endogenous opioids of our brain are not going to cover you six months a year later. And yet the studies show that in fact a year later after doing acupuncture, the knee feels better. They haven't done MRI studies of the knee just because it's expensive to do it with that many patients. But um, that's what my... um, thought is so we must be regrowing the cartilage what is the most common ailment or disease illness that you treat personally well it's kind of seasonal um you know in the springtime i see a lot of people with allergies and acupuncture is quite effective i was actually on a team an otolaryngology panel for allergic rhinitis where we created a um, 
a clinical guideline, and that goes out to all the physicians in the United States. And acupuncture was one of the things listed as a, what could be a referral um, uh, issue. And so we can drop IgE, which is an immunoglobulin that uh, triggers your nose to run. So, uh, yeah, so we have different approaches. Getting back to your question about the things that I see, um, I do. I see a lot of uh, musculoskeletal pain, neck pain, back pain, shoulder pain, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Just yesterday, I was, well, not yesterday, um, early last week I was dealing with someone who had carpal tunnel in both wrists. And when you go under, undergo surgery, yeah, it releases that pressure, but unfortunately it also creates scar tissue that can lead. So it's not, the surgery is not a complete solution. Um, acupuncture will resolve the problem non-invasively. However, um, if someone is still typing away, it will return. So yeah. it's almost a palliative care. The, the, the reason I asked that question is because that's most commonly what you know I would assume acupuncture is for. For pain, uh, generally pain would be the first one. And uh, dealing with cancer patients, maybe a some relief of some side effects of treatment. But you talked about infertility. You've talked about so many different things. And I'm wondering if, if you're seeing one group more than another. People don't know the vastness that acupuncture, the vastness of, of treatments that acupuncture is good for, the vastness of disease and so forth that acupuncture is actually good for. Yes, my, my training is almost considered like the barefoot doctor in China where we, you don't have a lot of equipment. So you can move from one province to another with just a box full of needles and a few other things, a guasa tool, a few cups, and you can solve all kinds of um, issues. And there's a woman who just had intractable constipation. She was really uncomfortable. And there are acupuncture points on either side of the belly button and elsewhere on the body that help improve or increase the motility of the large intestine. Is is there anything that acupuncture isn't good for? Uh, Sure. Something structural, for instance, Um, if you have a disc herniation where it's just stepping on the nerve 24-7, then we could reduce the pain, but we can't physically shift that disc. Um, We can deal with with cancer in that we can improve the natural killer cells in the body, but acupuncture alone is not going to cure cancer. So there is a bunch of things. Also, let's take tinnitus, for instance. Um, Western medicine can do very little to ringing in the ears, and um, and our response rate is about 20%, so one out of five patients get better. So, you know, psoriasis is another one. Very, very stubborn in Western medicine, very, very stubborn in Eastern medicine. Okay, so when we're looking for an acupuncturist, I think this is a, a big question because, uh, again, I'm not so sure of all the licensing here in Canada, but what are we looking for when we want to go to a qualified acupuncturist? Can we decipher between different people who may have different levels of knowledge? That's a good question. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to answer that in Canada, but I'm sure that you guys are licensed and certified. And here in uh, in the U.S., it's the same way, is that you have to, A, go to an accredited school, and B, you have to uh, pass a board exam that is about eight hours long, so it covers the gamut of, uh, of what, what our training is. And then that's more safety-related, making sure that we do have a clue. Okay. Now let's get down to sort of the brass tacks. 
the needles are, can you give us an idea of the type of needles you use? Are they reused? Are there, are there different um, sizes of needles? Is it painful? <laughs> yeah, that's a little, great questions. So, yes, we have a different diameters of needles measured in gauge, and we also have um, mainly stainless steel is what we use. But in China, you could go to someone and they may have a silver or gold needle, which they believe have certain energetics associated with it. Not to say that they're not used in the U.S., but pretty much disposable needles are the way that we go. It's required in order for us to practice. So there's not a chance of you getting any kind of... Um, um, disease or anything like hepatitis because it's not used on another patient. Now, the length of the needles vary from a short of about a half an inch long to some needles that are over three inches long. Mm. And is and that for hurt? depth? Oh, does it hurt? Let's deal with that one, yep. Okay, and so it usually feels maybe uh, like a mosquito bite or like taking one hair and tugging on it, but we have a lot of pain receptors on our palms and on our face, and they're kind of far apart on our back and on our legs. And so uh, depending on where you put the needle, if I were to put a needle anywhere in my palm, it would sting. It would not feel good. Um, however, I could put a needle on someone's leg or, or their back, and they may not notice it at all. And do the needles go to different depths for treatment? That's correct. If you look in a... a Chinese medicine uh, book, it will have a depth of penetration and angle of insertion. And so um, let's take lung seven, which is on a wrist, is that you would angle it towards the lungs if you're dealing with a lung, a respiratory problem. But if you're dealing with a thumb pain, you actually do the same point, but you would angle needle towards the thumb. So it's part art, part science, and that's what makes it very interesting. It must take a long time, even after your certification, to get to a level of, of, of great competency with these needles. I agree. There's, there's a bunch of different uh, traditions. I was lucky to study under some really amazing people, and so I, I've got a broad spectrum. And most acupuncturists who have 20 years' experience or more, you ask them well, what specific style, and they'll say, well, I was trained in TCM, which is eight principles, but I also learned dot, 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 and it might be the Japanese style or the French energetics or uh, Korean style. So there's a number of styles out there, and all of them have great value. No, one is not better than the other, just different? Yes. There's actually been studies between, well, what about if you take the Master Dong's approach, and he's got over 1,100 uh, points in his system uh, versus something typical traditional Chinese medicine, um, that, yeah, the outcomes were not tremendously different. Interesting. Is acupuncture safe for children? Yes. As a matter of fact, one of my professors, Dr. Li, is a, uh, a pediatrician in China. So there, there are uh, people who specialize just in children, and the children respond really well. And so if I have someone that comes in and is 21 years old and they have a medial collateral ligament tear of their knee versus someone who's 70, the person who's 70 is going to need more treatments than the person who's 20 or 22. And the reason is there's lack of blood flow. You know, when, when we're older, our circulation is less. And so typically people who are older, um, they'll still respond to acupuncture, but just it may take a, a few extra treatments. So, and children, are we talking uh, after a certain age, or have you ever done anything on newborns, on babies? 
my youngest patient was six days old. Wow. And treating, yes. what were you treating that patient for? A thrombocytopenia. Which is? Thrombocytopenia is where I, you, you know, they, they, the baby can easily bleed. Okay. Interesting that um, someone in the Western world will think of acupuncture for, for someone that, that young. They must have been very knowledgeable. That's, that's wonderful. Uh, this is a personal question I have. What is the relationship when you're, you're diagnosing or you're working with people? The tongue plays an extremely important part. Can you explain to us? I know you can't do a, a very in-depth, but just in general, what are you looking for when you're looking at somebody's tongue? So the tongue diagnosis is more like a map and that the, the tongue has different areas that reflect different organ systems. And again, what's strange is the organs in the human body in Chinese medicine are conceptual, which means that if I tell someone, oh, you've got a spleen chi deficiency, it doesn't actually have to do with their real spleen. Oh. It, they can have their spleen removed and they can still have a spleen chi deficiency. It's just kind of the, the overarching uh, conceptual framework that we work within. But um, so I can look at a person's tongue and see the organs. I can see uh, the coating, and the coating has certain indications and uh, how large the tongue is. If it's swollen, they'll have teeth marks or scallops on the edges. You've probably heard something called a geographic tongue, and we have that in Chinese medicine as well. And so all of those just kind of help um, fill in the clinical picture. And then the other aspect that we use is palpation, and that would include um, checking for pulses. And uh, I say pulses plural because there are three pulses on each wrist that are next to one another, and there's three depths of pulse. You have a superficial, a medium, and a deep pulse. That's very interesting. Now, two questions I really would like to get to. I think I'll ask this one first because it's got to do with acupuncture, specifically East meets West. And I know you're on boards. I know you write papers. How are you, How is your view? What is your take now with the East meets West as far as traditional Chinese medicine, maybe specifically acupuncture? Are you being recognized as much as you should? And is there a real place in Western medicine for acupuncture, in your opinion? I think there's areas where uh, Western medicine is a little bit weak. For instance, chronic migraines or knee osteoarthritis. They just have drugs to reduce the inflammation, you know, COX-1, COX-2 inhibitors. But um, can they really solve the problem? And the answer is not really. And so that's where we would fit in. And uh, in terms of the use in the United States, the top five hospital systems in the country do offer acupuncture services with the caveat that it's more, uh, a few of them are outpatient, a few of them are inpatient, but we're not talking about 30 acupuncturists. We may be talking about three. But of all the Eastern traditions and Eastern practices, it seems like acupuncture is the greatest so far in making inroads into our system. Is that correct? Yes. In the VA, which is one of the largest health systems in the U.S. with over 1,200 locations, and they serve something like 8 million uh, uh, military types, that uh, they have, I think, 93% of their of their units have some kind of complementary alternative medicine, uh, including yoga. 
so yoga is becoming very popular in terms of just a mind-body practice and also for stretching fascial planes and that kind of thing. So that's become very popular along with cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, chiropractic, massage, um, midwifery. That's that's something you're really trying to promote, is it not? This is what I'm taking from what I've read in your bio, is that you really are trying to make a push for scientific basis an understanding of these traditions and, and making them a part of Western medicine. Yes, that's, I mean, in terms of just uh, non-invasiveness, uh, so safety and, um, and cost-effectiveness, it's tremendous. An integrative health system in the U.S. would save us tons of money, the chronic disease would be reduced, and uh, the overall patient satisfaction would be off the charts. And so that's what's called the triple aim, and our government is working towards that. But it's not... there Because of the uh, opioid uh, crisis, they're really starting to look at non-pharmacologic approaches like acupuncture and chiropractic. Well, you just led into my next question, how acupuncture specifically, you, you have a crisis there that uh, is, is gathering speed, it seems, and a non-pharmacological approach to the opiate crisis seems very intuitive. Is acupuncture stepping up and helping to fulfill some of that role in this crisis? We, we certainly are, but it's just hard to get the right people aware of it. And so we're we're trying to educate legislators. We uh, recently had a uh, uh, integrative health and wellness caucus event, and so we had a, a congressional briefing where I briefed on acupuncture. We had uh, Dr. Klum brief on chiropractic. Uh, we had uh, Emily Telfire talking about uh, about naturopathic medicine, uh, specifically related to pain. Now, so are you trying to? S- sorry, go ahead. Finish. So I was saying, so we're trying to do our best to communicate that to our legislators. Are you trying to make the view of acupuncture in play in you know the background basically of the opiate crisis is that opiates have been used to manage pain, correct? Is that where this is stemming yes. from? So are you yes. trying to make it in place of or maybe the first line in pain care, pain management? That's correct. And in a number of our uh, pain policy in the United States, that's precisely what it reflects. It says the CDC um, opioid guidelines, the FDA pain management blueprint, all of these point towards one thing, which is going for a non-pharmacologic approach. Now, if you talk to an MD what a non-pharmacologic approach is, they may say surgery. You see, so my view of non-pharmacologic approaches are a little different than the average MDs, but um, clearly we're we're making a lot of um, progress. Uh, Dr. Ben Kligler of the VA is really, um, they just recently opened a position description for licensed acupuncturists for the uh, for Veterans Affairs. Is there a place for acupuncture in dealing with uh, people that have an addiction to opioids right now, or is acupuncture? Does acupuncture have a place in that sphere? Yes, as a matter of fact, it's it's used in quite a number of um, addiction clinics across the nation. There are over forty countries that use this what's called NADA protocol, N A D A, which stands for National 
Association, no, I'm sorry, National Acupuncture Detoxification Association. And this group uh, has a five-point protocol in the ear that they can use, and it reduces people's interest in uh, being addicted to anything from opioids to uh, smoking cigarettes. It's amazing. I mean, you've opened my eyes today to the vastness of the applications of acupuncture. It almost makes me think that that should be one of the first things that we go to in our tool chest of of things that we can use in our health sphere. It's it's phenomenal what what you're doing, and it's phenomenal the knowledge that that you have. It's it's great talking to you. Is there a place that people can go to find out more about? your interests and what you're doing to promote the East meets West sort of ideology in traditional Chinese medicine? Uh, Specific to traditional Chinese medicine, uh, not so much. Uh, In terms of just the integrative care, uh, if you go to IHPC.org, it stands for the Integrative Health Policy Consortium, and uh, they, you can see our policy papers and some of the efforts that we're making across the nation. I'll put that up for everybody on our Facebook page so that you have it. Of the the papers that you've published, I've I've dabbled in a couple of them, and the scientific basis of integrative health that you you. Uh, generously shared with me um, when we had our talk is phenomenal. It's, it's huge. It's a vast, vast volume. But if you're interested in this, in this side of, of Eastern medicine, Eastern tradition, Bill is, is the, the guy you really want to follow because he's just got such great knowledge and, and he comes from it from a scientific background, which is something that, um, that I appreciate. But Bill, I wanted to thank you very much for joining us today. It's been wonderful uh, having you share all your knowledge and hopefully opening the doors and minds to, to people who are listening. So thank you again. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. And we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.